It's been said that the size of your problems reveals the size of your God. Uh, If you have big, insurmountable problems, then you probably have a small God. But if the smaller your problems are, then the bigger, more powerful your God is. This doesn't mean that we don't have small problems. It just means that the question is, is God eclipsing our problems or are our problems eclipsing our God? I don't want to minimize what might be happening to you or to us. Sometimes struggles come. They can be really hard. They can be difficult. Sometimes it seems like God doesn't hear us or maybe he's not interested in us. Look at our world now. It seems like everything is just out of control. There's pandemic, there's injustice, there's oppression, there's civil unrest. It's crazy. And we think God should intervene in some particular way, and he doesn't do it. He doesn't work the way we expect him to work. And so we need someone to save us. We need a God who is not far away, but who's close to us. And so what would be really helpful is if we had a perspective change. If we need our God to eclipse our problems, to eclipse our issues, we need a glimpse of the supernatural. That's what we really want. We want his comfort. So this morning, we're going to look at something interesting. We're going to look at the limitations of God. What are his limitations? Does he fit in a box? What are the boundaries of God? And how big would this box be if we tried to contain him? I'm convinced that if we look at these limitations of God, we're going to see that God is much bigger than what we expect, much bigger than what we think. And hopefully as we do this, our view of God will grow and our view of our problems and issues will shrink. And most importantly, we'll look to see if we can get comfort from God when we just get a glimpse of him, when we're just looking at him. To better understand the limitations of God, we need to see what God says. What does he tell us about himself? It isn't hard to look through the Bible before we find some. So we're going to look at a couple this morning. This first that we're going to look at is in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. There's some interesting things happening in that verse, but did you catch that there was a limitation of God there? He says it's impossible for him to lie. That sounds like a limitation. When God is saying it's impossible for him to do something, that sounds like he's limiting himself. It means that every time that God tells us something, it has to be true. Every promise he makes has to be kept because he can't lie. And that brings us a lot of comfort to know that. It also shows how different God is from us. For us, it's easy to lie, right? We, we, it's hard for us to not lie sometimes. How, imagine how hard it would be to live your life where nothing you said was inaccurate and everything you said was completely true. That would be impossible, but it's not impossible for God. Instead, God says it's impossible for him to lie because he is very different than us. If we keep looking through our Bible, we'll see that there's some other examples of things God can't do. If you continue in Hebrews, if you go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we get this verse that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
This tells us that Jesus stays the same throughout all time. Another way of saying this would be that God doesn't change. And he actually tells us this throughout the Bible. He doesn't change. And again, this is another limitation of God. He says he doesn't change. He can't change. He's consistent. He's always the same. And again, this is a comfort to us because we can know that his character never changes. We can always trust him. He's not going to change his position on anything. He's not going to change the rules on anything. His character says he isn't going to change. We change. In fact, we change a lot. Physically, we grow up. We go from childhood to adulthood. As we get older, some of us get wider. At least I do. But we change. We, we physically change. It's pretty crazy. I've read that every 16 days, 72% of our bodies are replaced with new atoms. So we're having cells constantly being replenished in our bodies. Now, some of those cells or some of those atoms, they stay in our body longer. The heavier metals, they stay there longer, but even they are replenished. Every five to seven years, every atom in your body is replaced with a new atom. That's just our body. Mentally and emotionally, we change. When we're young, we're fearless. As we get older, we have these experiences that change us. About five years ago, we moved into a new house. And in the house, in the garage, there was a loft with a big, rickety old ladder that went up it. And I would store things up in the loft. And as I was carrying a box one time, I was going up this ladder into the loft, and the ladder at the bottom slipped out from underneath me. And I was at the top, so I fell quite a distance and got banged up. And the point is that that's changed me. Now when I get on a tie ladder, I get a little nervous. I start looking down thinking, what's going to happen if I fall? Those experiences change us, but they don't change God. We change as a result of the things that happen around us, but God doesn't change. It doesn't matter what experience happens. It doesn't matter what happens in history. God doesn't change. He's very different than us. Now, some of you might be getting upset. I'm talking about the limitations of God, and you might not like that. You might be looking at these verses that I just referenced, trying to figure out, does it really say God has a limitation? It's okay. Um, Listen up. Be patient. I promise that as we get through here, we're going to be happy with what happens. We're never going to be disappointed when we focus on God and look at him. He's never going to be upset when we look at how amazing and how wonderful he is. So let's keep, we're just going to keep looking at this. If after we're finished and you try to come up and convince me that God doesn't have any limitations, you've missed the whole point of what we're doing here. So let's take a look and let's see what God does. We have to remember that he is different than us. He does things differently than we expect. And that's a danger we can sometimes have. We get this picture of God and we think, okay, God, you can only work this way or you can only do this thing because that's what we expect. But God doesn't have that limitation. He can do things differently than what we think. We see an example of this in Second Kings chapter 5. There's this commander of an army named Naaman. 
He has leprosy. He wants to be healed. And Elisha tells Naaman that if he goes down to the Jordan and washes himself seven times, if he dips in the river seven times, he'll be healed. And Naaman gets furious. He gets very upset because he has a different picture of God. He thinks God's going to require some pomp or maybe he's going to require something complicated or expensive at the very least, there should be some ritual that he expects that God's going to want him to, him to perform. But God doesn't want that. He just tells him to dip in the river seven times. And so as we're looking at these limitations of God, we want to make sure and see how big is God? Can he fit in a box? We don't want to say, though, that God is unable to solve a problem because he is limited. And it sounds paradoxical and confusing. How can God have limitations and at the same time be unlimited? How can we say that God has limitations and yet he's all powerful? And this is the great thing about our God. This is the great thing about looking at the limitations of God, what the Bible says about. When we're talking about what things God can't do, it's not a limitation of power. It isn't a limitation of authority or ability. In fact, there really aren't limitations, but instead they describe the character of God. So let's be clear, and we'll rephrase this. God has unlimited power. He has total authority. He has total power. He can do whatever he desires. But the character of God shows us how he'll use his power. So the limits of God are better described as the character of God. And this is exciting because as we look at the character of God, we're going to get a better understanding of him. We're going to see how big, how great he is. We're going to get to understand the nature of God a little better. Most importantly, through looking at his character, we'll see and better understand the heart of God. So there's one character trait we really want to look at about God that that really defines him, that makes him really interesting and different than everything. So we're going to look at that this morning. That's in Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And this is when John is in a vision, and he's in the throne room of God. And it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is such a great picture of God that John gets to see. Being there in the throne room and seeing those angels. And we get to see and hear what those angels are proclaiming. The first thing that we notice about God is they are saying God is holy. This is really important. Holy is one of these religious words that we like to throw around and and we we kind of we maybe we overuse it but we need to know take a step back and know what it means to be holy when we think of holy we generally think of something that's pure and sanctified we think of something that might be used for religious ceremonies holy is this picture of being clean and pure associated with it but holy is also a picture of being set apart 
It is different. It is something that is the opposite of common. It is the opposite of profane. It is something that is special. When we something is holy, we're saying it is different from other things. And this word holy is a characteristic of God. He is different from everything we know. He is special. He's set apart. He is completely different, absolutely above our understanding. But look at the description of the angels here. They don't say that God is holy. They say God is holy, holy, holy. And this is distinctly different. The three words here are each meant to compound each other. So if somebody said something was holy, that would be pretty good. That would be special. That would be different. But if they said it was holy, holy, that would be really different. That would be really special. The picture is you take a group of everything that's holy, everything that's different, and you have it in a group. And then from that group, you find what's different and special in that group and pull it out. That's holy, holy. But again, that's not what God's described as. He's described as holy, holy, holy. And again, it's this picture where the, each of these holies compound each other. First, you have a group of everything that's holy, and you pull that apart. And then from that group that's holy, you find what's most special, and you pull out that group, and that's holy, holy. And then you look for the most special thing in that holy, holy group, and that's something that's uniquely holy. And that's what describes our God. He's absolutely and uniquely holy. He's completely set apart. He's completely different. And this is the character that we see of God, is that he is holy, holy, holy. It means that if you look at God and you think you understand some aspect of God, you're probably wrong. Because what you really are doing is you're focusing so intently on some aspect of him that you're missing that God is much bigger than that. You have to take a step back and see that God is even greater and bigger than our understanding. He is completely different because he's holy, holy, holy. Notice that we're making a shift here. We were talking about the limitations of God, but now we're doing a pivot. We're talking about the character of God. You could say this characteristic of God is a limitation. God can't be common. God can't be profane or normal. He is special because he's holy, holy, holy. So again, we're talking about the character of God. He is beyond and past our understanding. Even the angels, they're declaring here, he's holy, 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 past their understanding. If we keep going, we'll see that there's this next phrase here. They call him Lord God Almighty. And this phrase follows the same pattern as the previous phrase. Each word builds on itself. Each word bumps up in intensity. And so we saw that God was holy, then it compounded to holy, holy, and then it it bumped up to holy, holy, holy. Now we see here he's called Lord God Almighty. So this first word Lord here is a great word that we call our God. And we call him Lord. It's a great term for him. A Lord is a person who has authority over others and also he's got authority over land and is part of the government. Lords are interesting, but they're not completely foreign to us. We have Lords even today, but Lords are unique or they're special because they oversee a domain. It's personal. When we call him Lord, it's a personal thing that we're calling him because they oversee the day-to-day activities. 
Kings are different than lords. Kings have authority over lords, but a lord has authority over people. So when we call him Lord, we're saying that he has authority over us, but he's also personal and he's involved directly in our lives. And so it's a great thing to call him Lord. Next, they say that God is Lord God. We'll see the progression as it continues to build. And this is a building in intensity and in power. Notice it skips king. It doesn't say that he's Lord King. It says he's Lord God. A God is more powerful than a king. And in many ancient cultures, uh, and even some cultures today, a king is considered to be a God. And the idea is the king didn't just have authority over the people and over the land, but they have authority over nature itself. So that's the idea that we have here is that God has authority, not just over kings, not just over lords and territories, but he has authority over all things. He has authority over lords and kings and people and land and animals and weather and everything. He has the ability to bless. He has the ability to curse. He can give gifts. He can take gifts away. He is above all things and has authority over everything, including spiritual realms, things that people can't control. Finally, we see that in this phrase, it calls him almighty. He is Lord God almighty. And again, we see the progression as each term builds on themselves. Saying that he's almighty is saying that he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, he has full and supreme authority over everything. No one can subvert him or overrule him or change him or require him to submit. He has more authority even than a God. And notice that this authority is singular. It's only given to Yahweh. It's only possible for one to have this type of authority. If there were two who had this type of authority and they had disagreed, what would happen? Somebody would have to submit. And so there's this picture here that God is almighty. He has ultimate authority. Now, when John is writing this, there's, again, many cultures who believe in multiple gods. None of those gods are, could be described as all-powerful. For example, in the Greek pantheon, there was Zeus, the king god. He was the king of the other gods. But he wasn't always king. He had to take power from his father, Kronos, to become the ruler. And then we see in the Greek pantheon, these gods, they're very petty. They fight with each other. They try to manipulate each other. They try to gain uh, power and authority over each other. It's very different than what's described here. They don't have supreme authority like God does. And the angels are declaring it here that he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. No one can overrule him. No one can override him or restrain him. No one can compel him. He can do what he needs to do because he's uniquely all-powerful. Things are getting really interesting here. So before we look at this phrase, this last phrase, we just got to recognize the progression. We have three groups of three. We have three triplets. In the first triplet, we have holy, holy, holy. The second triplet, we have Lord God Almighty. Within each triplet, it intensifies as we continue. But we also see the intensity grow as we go to the next triplet. So first we see that God is holy, uniquely holy. Then we see that God is powerful, 
uniquely, and all-powerful. This next phrase we're going to look at talks about how amazing God is. It's really interesting. At first glance, when we are told that God is, God was and is and is to come, it looks like we're only being told one thing, that God is just, uh, he's forever. But, but again, we want to look at this in the same manner we looked at the previous one. So the expectation is, is that this phrase God was and is and is to come, is going to be really amazing. So first of all, we see that God was. And they're not just saying that God existed in the past. When they say God was, who was, they're saying he exists in the past. This is really interesting. It says that God has access to our past. He can go and see everything that's happened. Nothing is prevented from him seeing it. This isn't saying that God has a great memory. It isn't saying that he remembers our past. This is saying that God was. He is in the past. He can see everything that's happened to us. It's really amazing. Unlike the other thing, other phrases when we were to look at, this is unique to God. Only God has full access to the past. Only God can see everything and knows exactly what's happened. We are different than God in this aspect. We write things down because we want to remember them. We try different ways to try to remember things, but that doesn't describe our God at all. He doesn't have to remember anything. He can be there. He's in the past. He's witness to all things. So we see that God is very different than us. This next phrase, who is, is builds on top of this idea of who was. This is great to know that God is. That means God exists in the present. That means he's with us. He's right beside us. He's in every present. And this is different from you and me. We exist in the present, but we are limited by geography. For example, if you were in a house and you were in one room and your family was in another room, you might have a different experience than they would be having because you're separated. You're in different rooms. But again, this doesn't describe God. God has access to all the present. He's with everybody right now. He's right beside us. He knows exactly what you're experiencing He knows exactly your past, what led you to the place you're in. He knows your heart and your motivation because he has access to your past. He also has access to your present right now. And it's great to know that God is right here in our present. Again, we're going to look at this next term, and this is just incredible. It's just amazing about our God. He's much bigger than we think he is. Here we're told that God is to come. And again, this is telling us that God is, exists in the future. He has access to the future. He's not predicting the future. He doesn't see the distant future. It means he exists in the future. He has equal access to our past, to our present, and to our future. Think of how amazing that is. God's never going to be surprised by anything that ever happens. He knows beforehand what's going to happen. Sometimes we read about or we see people who are trying to manipulate God. Think of how futile that is. How can you manipulate someone who knows your past, he knows your present, and he knows your future? 
He knows you in your totality. He's a perfect tactician because God sees the cause and the effect all at the same time. He has equal access to both of those things. He can't be fooled. He can't be tricked. He can't be outwitted because God exists in the past. He exists in the present and he exists in the future. When we put all these things together, we see that time does not have the same impact on God as it does like us. God is called Yahweh, which means self-existing. There's nothing required for him to exist, and that includes time. Think about how different that makes him from us. When God gives a promise, he's already experiencing the fulfillment of that promise. When I look at someone, I might see their past, I might see their present, and I might see a hope of their future. But God sees it all. He sees it completely. He's so completely different than us. And then on top of that, if you're a Christian, that means you've got the blood of Christ covering you. He sees your past, your present, your future, all through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's an incredible thing he's done. That sacrifice has a huge impact throughout all time. That's how powerful our God is. This doesn't mean we don't have free will. We still have the freedom to make our choices. We have the freedom to deny Christ or to accept him. But God exists outside of time, so he sees that choice. He knows what we've done. So as we look through this passage, it's really amazing to see how great God is. We see that he's holy, we see that he's all-powerful, and he has all access to all time. And again, this is very different than us. We are completely dependent on time. Our memories change. Our cognitive abilities change. We change everything. We change our clothes, we change our tastes, we change where we live. Everything changes But that doesn't describe God. And when we think about some of these words, we think about a lot of verbs. They require change. To run, to move, to build, to learn, to expect, to find. They don't accurately describe God because they require change. God doesn't change. It's an amazing thing to see about him. It's amazing to see how he doesn't change. When we think of change, of God not changing, we often think about how God doesn't change his mind, how he's not going to waffle, how he's not going to make a decision and then think better of it. But it's so much more than that. God can't, God can't learn. He can't find out new things. He can't have changes in authority. These all require change. He can't be surprised. God's never going to have mood swings or grow or shrink. He's not going to get sick because God doesn't change. And this is a great characteristic of our God. So we were looking through some of these verses, and one of those limitations that we saw is that it's impossible for God to lie. And it sounds like a limitation, but let's look at this closer because I'm sure that as we look at how it says God can't lie, we're going to see exactly or at least get a glimpse of how powerful our God really is. There's two aspects of lying that we want to look at. There's the aspect of deceit and there's the aspect of inaccuracy. So when we look at how God can't lie, 
Lying and deceit, we think of this malicious intent to deceive someone. You can actually tell someone some truth in order to manipulate them and try to lie to them and get them to believe something else that isn't true. It's interesting, some of the lies that are, have happened in our history, some of them are famous. Um, during World War II, there was this invasion that the U.S., the world, was really going to do in, in Europe. And we wanted to do a surprise attack against the Nazis. But how do you surprise an army when you have 150,000 troops in your battle group? Well, in Northern Europe, they set up what was called a ghost army. It was really interesting. It was an army made up of inflatable tanks and airplanes. And what they would do is they would set up loudspeakers, they would have radio traffic, they would make it look like they had an army in one place. And what that did is it got the axis to move their army so that they could, de- they could buff this army that they thought was coming towards them. It wasn't real though. The army wasn't a threat. It was all fake. And that was that lie that they did to deceive. But when we look at God, we have to remember there isn't there is no lying for him. He doesn't have to deceit. And remember, deceit has nothing to do with power. In fact, deceit's often used when you're trying to bluff, when there is no real power. So God doesn't need to bluff. He's so powerful and so loving that he never needs to deceive. He says it's impossible for him to lie. It's not in his nature to lie. So this is a great characteristic of God. And we can know that God's never going to be afraid of the truth. He's never going to apologize for the truth. He's never going to hide from it or shrink away. He's always going to speak the truth. This next aspect of lying we want to look at is saying something that is untrue. When you lie, you can say something where you're, you're not trying to deceive someone, but you just have the wrong facts. You just, what you're saying is not accurate. It's wrong. A good example for this is the weather. Now, weathermen recognize this, so they don't tell you it's going to rain or it's not going to rain. They tell you there's a 50% chance of rain or there's an 80% chance of rain because they recognize they might be wrong. For me, it's worse. I have often told people and been completely wrong about the weather. A mistake I've often made is I'll go to the computer, I'll type in Dublin, that's where I live, and I'll look and it'll say it's going to rain. And so I'll tell people, hey, you got to grab your umbrellas, there's a 100% chance of rain, it's going to rain, you need to be prepared. What happens though is sometimes when I go type in Dublin, I end up at Dublin, Ireland instead of Dublin, California. And so it's not uncommon that I tell people the wrong weather forecast. I have the wrong facts. I'm not trying to deceive anyone, but it's a lie because I'm telling something that's not right. But again, this doesn't describe our God. God never has the wrong facts. He's never going to misspeak. He's never going to tell us something that is inaccurate or that is wrong. He doesn't make probabilistic predictions of the future. He knows the future. He has access to it. He sees it. So it's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to be, be misformed. But there's more to it. Our God is so powerful that whatever he says has to be true. Whatever he speaks must become true. This is crazy. This is amazing how powerful our God is that whatever he says, creation must obey him. 
And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is incredible. Take a look at what happens here. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. This is incredible when we see what God has done, what he has said. When he speaks, it must be true. God is saying, let there be light. Think about how amazing this is. How crazy does it sound? What is light? What does it mean in this context? Nobody knows what that means. There is no such thing as light. We're told that reality says that it's void. It's, there's no form. But God is saying, let there be light. This is as close as God can get to a lie. He says something and it doesn't quite match reality. But what happens is there was light. Reality changes to reflect what God says. The universe and the laws of science must obey God. He has that much power and authority. So whenever he says something, it must become true. Whatever he speaks has to occur. Reality has no option but to capitulate and follow the word of God. Before we finish up, we need to look at one more characteristic of God, and that is that God is love. Does God have any limitations when it comes to love? How far is God willing to go to show us love? Throughout the Bible, it tells us repeatedly that God is love. He is about love. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 8. So let's look at that. It's chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. And Paul says this, For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God's love is limitless. It is unending, unbounded. There's literally nothing that can separate us from his love. This is really amazing. This is crazy. I love the qualifiers that Paul gives. He says life and death can't separate us. Death is one of the most powerful enemies mankind has, but it's futile when when we're talking about the love of God. He has conquered death. Paul talks about angels and principalities and powers. All of these things, none of them, no matter if they spend all their resources, all their time, they aren't able to separate us from the love of God. No matter how powerful a being is, they can't do it. They can't block. Whatever they do, God's love will break through that barrier. Then we get to my favorite part, things in the past and in the present and and in the future. They can't separate us from the love of God. Think of this. Before you were born, before the foundation of the universe, God loved you. He had a plan for your life. He put things in motion to bring you life, to bring you to, to him. He had a plan to rescue you from sin and bring you to himself even before you were born. And then that doesn't even stop. In our present, when we make mistakes, when we do things wrong, that doesn't stop God's love for us either. 
Even when we make mistakes, God still loves us. And then we see in the future, God will love us. And I love that. I love that God's going to love us in the future. This doesn't mean just the distant future. This means now. God loves us now in our future, in the short term and in the long term. He'll love us in a hundred years. He'll love us in a thousand years. In 10,000 years, his love won't grow cold. He will still love us. He won't tire of us. It won't fade. That's how much God loves us. And God didn't just tell us these things. He didn't just tell us that he loves us. He proved his love for us. And this is incredible. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man than to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus did that. He laid down his life for us. He called us friends even when we were in rebellion against him. Even when we didn't know who he was, Jesus died for us. He's proven his love for us. It's incredible that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. He literally sacrificed his son for us. It's an incredible demonstration of love. I don't know who I would be willing to sacrifice my children for. I don't know of anyone. Who would be worthy of trading one of my kids' life? But God did. Thankfully, he's much bigger than I am. He was willing to send Jesus to die for us, to take our place so that we can be with him, so that we can know him. He shows us that his love has no bounds. It has no limitations. We've only looked at a couple of the limitations that the Bible says about God. We looked at how God can't lie. We looked at how God doesn't change. And again, these aren't limitations of God, of his power, but these are talking about his character. These statements show us that he has total authority, but he loves us. There's none who can override God. There's none who can restrain him. Right now, things might be tough. You might be in a place where you're struggling, where you're barely surviving, You might be wondering, why does God allow us to experience these times? And right now is a crazy time. Our world feels like it's spinning out of control. But know this, God is in control. He has plans to save all of mankind. He has plans for us to bring him glory. He has plans to bring us to him, for us to have an eternal impact on this world. We don't understand them. We read that God is holy, holy, holy. He's different than us. His plans are different than our plans. He says, my ways are not your ways. We don't understand them, but you need to know God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes it feels like we're all alone and that God isn't nearby. But we saw that God exists in the past, the present, the future. God is with us right now. Even when we're doing these things virtually, God is here with us. He loves us. So whatever struggle you have, we need to remember and we need to recognize that we don't have to understand what God's plan is. We don't have to know what God's plan is, but he does have a plan for our lives. No matter what happens in our life, know that God loves us and his love is unchanging. His decision to love us 
isn't going to change. No one's going to prevent it. We can take comfort in knowing that God doesn't lie. He doesn't give us false promises, but he gives us promises that he's going to keep. Promises for our future, promises for right now. Whatever he says is going to be absolutely true. And I love that when we look at the Bible, God doesn't lie to us and say, if you follow me, life will be easy. He doesn't say, he doesn't lie to us and say, if you follow him, that everything will be bountiful and you'll have, everything will be great. He promises that if we follow him, there will be struggle. There will be hard times, but our life will be rewarding. It'll be impactful. It'll be eternal. And most of all, we'll get to spend eternity with him. And so when we look at this, it's great to know that God is all powerful. Nothing is out of his control. But most importantly, it's great to know that God is motivated by love. He is love. His desire is to bring us to him. His desire is for us to be with him and to know him. And he's experienced pain. He's experienced struggle and suffering as well. Jesus was sent to the cross for us. He didn't enjoy that, but he showed his love for us. It was a plan to rescue us from sin. So we can see that God can't be contained. We can't fit him in a box. He has unlimited power, but his character shows us that he has an unchanging love and passion for us. Amen.